Hello, welcome back to We Die Deeper. My name is Kate McGill and this is the podcast where small talk goes to die. (laughs) My guests pick at random from 70 of my all-time favorite deep, personal and intrusive questions and some of the most amazing conversations I think I've ever had have come from asking these questions. Now before we dive in I would just like to say a massive thank you to everyone who has been commenting um, and messaging me on Instagram letting me know that they're enjoying the episodes and listening to them because it makes me feel so happy and so supported in what I'm doing and I'm just mega mega grateful and to those new patrons who have signed up to my Patreon to get the full episodes earlier you guys are incredible I would like to thank Rebecca Imogen, Nikki, James and Kiana. You guys are incredible. Thanks for being a part of my Patreon family and I hope you enjoy getting the full episodes a week earlier than everyone else. And if you are jealous of these five people guys and you would like the full episodes earlier then you can sign up to my Patreon for as little as one dollar a month. The link will be in the show notes or you can go to patreon.com forward slash Kate McGill. Shout out to Point of the Compass on Instagram who messaged saying, so excited for this. Good to have the podcast back with another season. Great work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we've got Amy who messaged me on Instagram saying, thank you so much for making this series. I've just finished series one with the episode with Joe and I am never someone who cries, but that reduced me to tears because it was exactly what I needed to hear tonight. Hearing him talk with peace about how he has worked through mental health issues and both of you talking so frankly about grief and mourning was just what I've been dealing with this evening. Bless you and your work. Bless you, Amy. Bless you and your work. Thank you so much for messaging me. Really, really means a lot. And I'm so happy that you're enjoying the episodes. Okay, so on to today's episode. My guest is the stupidly talented Billy Martin. She's a 20-year-old singer-songwriter from North Yorkshire. And honestly, I don't think I've ever met anyone as cool as her. I'm so adamant that I was a bit of a dick when I was 20, but I was staring at her and listening to her speak just like, how do you have this head on your shoulders? Just so full of insight and wisdom. Um, And her music reflects that too. Just so mature, kind of old before her time. I was so grateful to her for coming over to my house and letting me dive into her brain. I got to see her play in Bristol afterwards and I was just standing there in awe like, who the fuck is this person why was she talking to me and honestly that's how I feel about most conversations I have with most people because people are so wonderful and when you dive in their brains it's just a whole different world people so I'd massively encourage you to to dive into people's brains because it's fun in there anyway I'm getting ahead of myself I hope you enjoyed this episode with Billy and I'll see you on the other side so have you done i mean have you heard one of these before no oh this is gonna be fun i try not to do that that's good i like that so essentially i have 70 of my favorite questions like i said on instagram 70 70 and you just pick a number between one and 70 and we have the time of our lives great but first of all you have just been on tour with snow patrol yeah how the hell does something like that happen I don't know, because uh, I found out when we were supporting villagers at their London show at Earth, and about 20 minutes before we went on, my manager showed me an email from Gary saying, 
can you come on tour with us? And Gary I just, himself? Mr. Gary Lightbody. What the fuck? And I just laughed. I didn't say yes. I just laughed because it was so funny. And that then it was mental. kind of assumed. And then, you know, a couple months later, we were in an RV. It was ridiculous. That is actually insane. Yeah. Tell me, because I wrote with Johnny McDade. He's yeah, yeah. in there, right? So that must mean you've met Courtney Cox. We did share a bag of crisps. Oh my God. Yeah. Fucking Monica. I know. Friends. <laughs> I can't watch it ever again though. Really? Because, I don't know, you don't want to see her as a real... <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. ...human that isn't Monica, that isn't... Is she as wonderful as you think? She's the reason I bought high-waisted jeans. Like, that is her. Really? And that's the one series I'm kind of, like, religiously devoted to. And I watched it all the time. So now I can never watch it again. It's okay. So that's kind of sad, in a way. A little bit. <laughs> Still glad I did the tour, though. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Who's your favourite Friends character? This isn't deep, but I want to know it. So, so getting right to the point here. Mm-hmm. Um, Phoebe, probably. Wow, curveball. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I like her. And also, she's had um, she's done loads of interviews recently because she started doing film again, um, like they all have. But she's in a lot of Hollywood stuff now. And she did one with Mark Maron. And he's like the, the it's like the biggest LA podcast with all the famouses. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about how she always felt in competition with the other two because she didn't look like them, and she wasn't like a small build, and she got really low self esteem doing that show for ten years. Oh my god! That but you look at so her character yeah. and you're kind of like you're the most yeah. like the most outgoing, charismatic, confident mm-hmm. individual. Yeah. And I think, I mean, without shaming the other two, now she looks a lot more natural, yes. it seems. I know. Um, it's but, so you know, sad, each to their own. <laughs> I guess, well, you live there in LA and, and that's the norm, sadly. Yeah. And you can't, age isn't respected at all unless you're a man. And I mean, even the guys do it. It's so true. Whereas over here, I don't know, there's still that whole thing about that intrinsic fear of getting old. When it's, it has to happen. I know. Humans don't do anything else. I started using like eye cream just because it says yeah, everywhere. Yeah, like, yeah, when yeah. you just say, use this. And I'm like, but I'm, I'm not even 30 yet. <laughs> Why do I need it? But I'm, you're already thinking about it. Yeah. You're anticipating it. And I think it makes, it makes you gain wrinkles. <laughs> yeah. All the fear and the anxiety about getting old. I think they're beautiful. I think I really admire a body for it to go through that amount of time and still function and then it's forming another sort of version of itself every 10 years I think that's great that's such a nice way to look at it and a lot of people sadly don't see it that yeah well you talk to I mean probably you know older generations and they're all just miserable because they're getting older yeah, especially women, sadly. Yeah, because they don't look the way they did on their wedding day. Yeah. Do you struggle with body image and like a day-to-day, especially in this kind of industry? Or do you just not give a shit? All the time. Really? It's constant, yeah. I think it's a huge thing in music. In any industry that um, forces kind of a, a public representation of yourself, but that isn't just putting records out, it's visual as well. And mm. it's... There's... um. I think recently there's a lot less anonymity, whereas you could listen to, 
I don't know, a Joni record and not know what the hell she looked like for those two years or what she was doing every day. Yeah. So it's a lot more pressure to be a functioning human that also makes good music, that is, you know, kind and approachable and perfect in whatever sense of that word. Yeah. Um, and you keep yourself quite to yourself on social media, right? Like, if I if I had access to everything that there is now at 20... Happy birthday for the other day, by the Thank way. Thank you. <laughs> um, I reckon I would, I would, I was just a moron when I was 20, but you seem just so like not phased by it and not kind of, um, you know, put all everything on social media. You keep yourself to yourself. Is yeah. that like a conscious effort or do you just not really care about social media? I don't, I don't think I care about it. I wouldn't miss it if it went tomorrow. I think we'd all be so much better <laughs> if we just got rid of it um i know that it's important which is why i still do it um but i don't like the idea that people can sort of expect life updates from you and it's wrong if you're not doing that i don't like that theme that we've got going on now because um, quite often it's not real and then people have this fake life that they're just kind of I don't know pushing on you every day yeah which makes it competitive which is why this whole circle of social media just yeah it's been said before but it's so true it's just not um conducive to health to healthy living it's just not how does that um is that difficult being like a musician because I know obviously we I guess we have different kind of styles and yours is much more chill so maybe you're able to stand off a bit but other like labels and management and stuff have been like you need to be posting all the time and I'm mm. like ah, I feel like sometimes it's just a bit cooler if you don't post all the time like there's a bit of mystery there like you said with older artists they did amazingly well they didn't have any of this social media crap like yeah. do you and yeah there's still a sense kind of... of them from their records you yeah don't need exactly more you don't need to know what they're wearing or <laughs> yeah. who they're wearing or <laughs> no but I it's signing to a to a major there's a lot of push for social media really and everything marketing and you know things like paying for adverts to post on facebook which i hate <laughs> yeah um but you know there's been things like excel spreadsheets for the next four weeks for each individual tweet or instagram post or video or whatever it's so calculated yeah um but i don't like doing that so i don't do it and what about kind of photographs and is that like a do you because I know if we've ever had photo shoots I've been like right okay I'm gonna try and lose weight for two months like you yeah, know I mean yeah. that's always been my mentality even from very very young um and so moving forward now I really have to re kind of think my own brain when it comes to that because I don't I especially like if you know we don't have the biggest of fan bases but if I'm going to be a singer in a band then I want to be someone that people can look up to mm -hmm. and not have to try and change the way I look for a photo shoot or anything like that um so that's something I'm battling with but do you do you feel the same way when it comes to photo shoots or video shoots or are you kind of a bit more chill about it I think I well starting super young which maybe in hindsight was a little bit silly, but it still felt like everything was in control. Immediately it's kind of like, okay, so the video is going to have you in it and it's gonna each shot is going to have your face in it and then we're going to take some photos and there's also going to be an interview. But I think from 
I just didn't feel classically beautiful in the way that models are or actresses are because you don't see people that look like you in the media or anything. So I was kind of confused as to why someone would want to take a, a photo, which was kind of, um, I don't know, hard to deal with. I hate them because you need a base level of self-belief and self-confidence. And if you don't have that, then there's not that much you can do in life, yeah. really. Um, but you just have to sort of get, get on with it, I guess. It's sad that music demands so much, um, so much more than music itself. Would you have preferred to have just been born like 30, 40 years ago and all this stuff wasn't even an issue? Like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I get that impression. Yeah, yeah. In my head, I'm probably 53. Wow. Maybe. That's why you're so cool. I just, um, I just like old things. I yeah. like, there's a certain way of living that I just kind of, feel comfortable with and growing up it wasn't what other people were doing and I didn't know why I didn't like you know things like going out or going to festivals and getting shit-faced and th are we allowed to swear <laughs> yeah okay. um I just didn't like it yeah no one was talking about anything there was no substance wow and I guess I mean I'm from a really small town in Yorkshire and there wasn't a lot of music around. So it wasn't like, oh, I met my friends and we started a band and we did some local gigs and we did open mics. There was nothing. So I would quite often make friends with people a lot older. So if I was in second or third year, I'd be hanging out with sixth formers because they were listening to, I don't know, some cool noughties music that was going on at the time. Okay, that makes sense. It's an age thing. Yeah. And there was a big surge in house music, which just doesn't register with me. Like, I can't hear it at all. I don't wow. get it. Yeah. Um, and maybe that comes with having older parents, I guess. Yeah. Because there's 10 years between me and my brother Max, and he's nearly 30, um, which means we have older parents, but... That makes sense, then. You've kind of been surrounded by just older generations. I guess so. Um does that kind of come into your music then? Because your recent album, Feeding Seahorses by Hand, right? Mm. Um, I read or heard somewhere that you you don't kind of do like long recording sessions. You just did it in like two takes. You didn't. It wasn't like painstakingly yeah. long. No, I don't know how, why why we do that. That's amazing. There's me, like, oh my god, that note isn't perfect. I'm gonna be here for five hours to yeah. make it. No, your head does that, mm. but you kind of have to adopt this way of accepting it. Otherwise, you set yourself so many unattainable goals, and every time you then go to a gig in your head, you're thinking that's not what it sounded like on the record, and oh. I can never repeat it again. So if there's a little bit of fault, a little bit of human kind of error, yeah, yeah then you're okay, you're kind of setting a bigger, you're making yourself more comfortable. So, I mean, it was nerve-wracking because we were on tape, so it's not like it's a cheap a cheap way of recording. That must have been so liberating, though. Like, once you just kind of finished a song, you're just like, that's it. That is it was really it. nice. So nice. Did, and I, did recording it take, like, two days then or something? Well, yeah. We went to... So I did it at... Um, 
my producer Ethan's house and we were just in his lounge. It was like this. We just sort of pressed play every, press record every couple of hours and did maybe like three or four songs a day. Tracked everything first, just the bass, vocal and guitar, and then built everything around it the next week. Um, so it's simple. I don't know why, you know, most people talk about recording like it's the most hideous, gruelling, yeah, like relentless thing because you're trying to make something that can't be made. It's too perfect. That's I don't know. so true. What's your favourite part about being a musician? Mm. Probably just feeling something in music when listening to it, not playing it really. I don't, I, obviously I love writing, but it becomes something different after the first time you ever write a song. The meaning behind it becomes different. Your drive is different. It becomes a job, all of that stuff. I genuinely think it's just getting music, just living with it, hearing a song and understanding it. And I know so many people that don't listen to music. I can't imagine. A I life don't understand. Like that. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you actually doing with your life? What else are you doing? What's there to do? I don't Put know. the radio on. Anything. And that's but the worst not radio form of music. It's so bad. No. <laughs> Get six uh, music on when you're baking or something like that. Just do Wow. It. I mean, I realise we haven't actually asked any of the 70 Let's questions. go. Right, okay. 170, somewhere in between. Go. 17. 17. We always do a scale of, of 1 to 17. Okay. And how good something is. Vegas is 3. <laughs> it's only because it was sunny. I have, it's too hot though, it's right? It's fucking awful. I can't, like, the sweat. I'm it's just so uncomfortable. It's the worst place I have ever, ever seen. Now, like, hearing you talk over the last 10 minutes or so, I can understand why Las Vegas would be just so not your cup of tea. Hideous. <laughs> Hideous. So you said 17, right? Yeah. What was the worst phase in your life? Whoa. They're deep, what can I say? Yeah. Let's get the shovel. Right. <laughs> Emotionally worst. or... Yeah, yeah. Maybe... Probably 18. 17, 18. So a couple of years ago. Left school. Um, really struggled with the last year of school because everything else was so busy. So finished A-levels, kind of just, but I didn't really remember being there. I don't... Just like a haze. I just wasn't present at all. I wasn't enjoying it, I don't think. So much... It was like you're being infiltrated in your little ripping school land of innocence and so much other stuff was going on. So is that... Do you mean the music stuff? Had everything started then? Yeah, because you released Heavy Weather, like, 2016 right like it was quite a while ago yeah we signed in 2015 that was the day before my maths GCSE oh my god what a life you know in the photo where we're all holding champagne and I smashed a glass because I was really nervous um my revision is under the table it was ridiculous but it was okay strangely it wasn't you know, and you can feel a big life event is either really really right or so wrong yeah you felt at peace yeah and everyone I knew was there. Jason, my old manager, he's the guy that I did this video age 12 on sofa in Harrogate. And that was 
him. Um, my parents were there. Will from the label, my now current managers. So it felt comfortable. But so I left school and then felt like I had to do something. So I moved down to London. Ooh, that is a big move at 18. Bad. Yeah. I thought I was going to be okay because I'd been there so much and had been traveling since I was 15, 14. But it's such a different thing when you're actually waking up there every day and I've you're heard not getting the train home. Yeah, like a very kind of lonely, isolating. Is that yeah. your experience? People talk about that when they talk of Paris, which I get totally because you're in a different culture. But you're 200 miles down the road and it's still, you're just on your own. And I didn't grow up there. If you don't go to school there, if your parents aren't from there, you don't really know the landscape. It's not natural to you. There's so much you have to get used to again, like reliving again. Yeah. Um, I mean, my brother moved there a few years ago and he absolutely loves it. But he's in a very different sort of corporate world. And people in that world can thrive in London because that's what it's built for. It's not built for, you know, kind of recluses that want to make folk music and yeah. run around a daisy field it's not you know that's not its job yeah so you can't ask London to do that you can't ask for more green space or better water or smileier people yeah because everything is so much bigger and you're all part of something that eventually is going to lead to a change change be it in business or I don't know environmental or politics it's all part of a bigger push and I guess I just really didn't like, I like feeling individual, like you're not a cog. Yeah. So I just felt like a bit of a cog. So, I got, so were you living on your own then? Did you go straight to living so on your own? So I was lodging um, through a friend of a friend's parents Oof. who had this big house in Crouch End um, and I was in the attic. It was a beautiful house, and they were a beautiful family, but it wasn't my family. Yeah. And... And just not your home, very... No. Very, yeah. It was surreal. How did you cope with that, then? Not very well. What do you mean? Um, I started working at a pub, which was a bad decision. I should have picked a coffee house or something like that, or a bookshop, something that was more me, but for some reason, if you move somewhere else, you kind of adopt a different personality that just isn't <laughs> yours at all. And you change your accent and, you know, how you how you dress. And just in general, you feel a Not little you. bit... Yeah, a little bit different. So that meant that I was doing loads of late shifts and drinking quite a lot and meeting people that weren't my people and particularly male-dominated environment, obviously. Like, quite often, I was just the only girl in the room for Ooh. hours at a time as well. That's hard. And it wasn't kind of like a, a modern pub that seemed very equal it was going back into animal farm territory right yeah because I feel like guys sadly can just be so rude to mm. women behind a bar like as soon as there's that separation there they just especially when they're drunk my god they just feel like they can shout at you and it's horrendous and, yeah like you're a little lamb yeah but then you're supplying them with alcohol. So it's kind of like, I have the power here, but I really don't. It's like this weird hierarchy when you're the other side of the bar. Like, they're always taking something from you, but they also can control you. And if they want you, they can have you. Things like that. Yeah. Really messed up. 
but I mean, nothing bad happened. Like it, it was perfectly amicable, but I could just see through all of it. Yeah. And it just wasn't making me a nice person. And then to not have that safe space to go home to or a safe like group of people or yeah. something to rely on that could just get your headspace back to a normal one for you. That must have been hard too because especially if you're working late nights anyway you're tired you're having to deal with all those people you at least feel a tiny bit better if you're going back to to your own bed Mm. so to speak or your own family or just some somewhere that's yours but to go yeah I can see why that would be a really difficult time how did that kind of change then what point were you like this isn't working for me I need to change it um well I kind of started in October, November, so it was really, really horrible, freezing cold, miserable weather, that winter that just didn't go away, like all the way up until April, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I remember that. Is that the beast from the east? Yes. It was that time. Yes. So something got better when the weather got better, so that was okay. But I think there was one day, maybe two o'clock in the afternoon, I was behind the bar just cleaning or something, um... And the managers were all sat there. No one else was really in there. And they just said, um, don't look up. And I thought, okay, what the hell's, what's going on? They're like, don't look up. There was a guy outside the window who was like North London's biggest, like, gang runner. I don't know. The head of whatever it was called. I don't know. I don't want to go into that. But it was like... You know, he's killed 60 people, things like that. Oh, my And everything God. just got, like, I just thought, I got this job so I could write songs. Like, I didn't get this job to be emotionally, like, scarred. What would have happened if I looked up? Oh, my God. I mean, God. probably nothing, but still, it was that... That fear. Hideous fear of, of, yeah. At that point, I just went, I'm out of here. I'll see you later. That is, yeah, I mean, if if, I mean kind of a blessing in disguise in some way that something was just kind of enough for you to be like okay yeah this is fucking awful I just yeah I just couldn't do it it wasn't even a dodgy place like it was a really lovely kind of classic pub and I knew the owner anyway that's why I got the job because I don't have any experience like I don't have a CV I'd never pulled a pint in my life you know like I wasn't meant to have that job yeah um but it just got so monotonous and everybody just doesn't remember what you talked about the day before and they'll have that conversation again and again and again with you and it's like they just don't want to hear what you have to say so they want you to ask them questions but don't want any back I think I just got really frustrating yeah and I don't think I respected that sort of community I just don't yeah Anyway, my head was a bit rough then and I wasn't doing things, you know, you're kind of sleeping a lot in the day and then going into the pub atmosphere again and... Yeah, not good I wasn't really writing songs anymore. I got one song out of that whole six months, seven months. Yeah, it's not worth it. So not worth it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, yeah, I thought I was in that stage in between. I was too young to be a fully formed you know, functioning adult and I was too old to go to uni and stay in halls and do that and kind of like have those four years of, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I'm going to do it anyway. There was no time for that. I couldn't do that and do music as well. Yeah. 
I went to uni for six weeks. Did you? I went to one in London. It was awful. Six weeks? Yeah. What did you do? I did English. And it was, why was it so bad? No one read the books. Oh, <laughs> oh God. And I and then we started the 1st of October, and that's touring time as well. Yeah. And I was doing it part-time, so it was it was four hours on a Monday and four hours on a Friday, which is super annoying because yeah, you can't go anywhere. Exactly, <laughs> bookends of the week. Yeah, so I would really properly make a huge effort to get there from whichever gig we were at and be at that seminar because they proper penalize you if you're not there and it's such a threatening kind of atmosphere like we will kick you out of university if you don't come to two in a row or things like that right so that started well and I would lose sleep over not reading Oliver Twist write an essay and get no feedback on it sit down to a room of eight people who didn't read the book and don't care and no one was talking about anything. No wonder I did, it only I took English. six weeks. Yeah, I just, I'm out of there. That's not good. Nobody cared. And it felt like... Like American high school sort of human politics. If you're not wearing... I don't know. Red slit sunglasses and... Oh, really? And haven't got your eyebrows done. And you're not wearing velvet flares or something like that. Then you're not meant to be there. That is bizarre. It was just felt really young. Yeah. Really young. And I didn't like it. It seems like, just from chatting to you, that you know yourself very, very well. You know when you're feeling okay. You know when you're not. And if you're not, you act accordingly. I don't know. I'd love if that was the case. <laughs> I would love that. I think um, every day I think you realise who you are a little bit more. But it's also important to remember that you're also changing every day. And there is no constant... And you don't always feel, you don't have the solution all the time. Because at one moment, the solution might be go away and write 20 songs in France. Or the solution might be go home and sit there and and sleep. Or it might be, you know, take a degree or something like that. There's always different moments. But I think you've got to... You don't have to be selfish, but you have to be... Um, you have to look after yourself as you would another person. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely learning that every day. I have a tendency to be a bit of a people pleaser. Yeah. Um, which is fine in some cases because, you know, it's it's just being nice most of the time. But a lot of the time it can be putting yourself out and just doing things that really don't benefit you or make you feel good for, just to make no, other people happy. It makes you feel like a shell because it's not you. Yeah. Um, are you a people pleaser too? Absolutely. You? <laughs> you can't stop it. It is it's difficult. I read somewhere that you also have seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. Is that right? What? So for people who don't know, what is that? To be honest with you, I think we all have it. Definitely if you live in Europe, because we have such... I mean, we're so heavily affected by the seasons anyway. Yeah. But basically... You just sort of have these dips into really depressive episodes and there might be something small that's triggering that in your life but you kind of know there's this big cloud that goes over that is the weather and it's like the earth is just making you feel like that but there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. So, I mean, quite a lot of the time, if I get two seconds of sun, I'm out there and my face has to be in the sun. Right. Right. Like it gives you, it fills you full of 
Like all your cells turn yellow, something like that. I don't know. Was there like a a moment that you got kind of diagnosed then? Or was it just something that you were like, hang on, I'm noticing a pattern here? Definite pattern. And when you're trying to explain your symptoms and and you're with your GP and they're sort of figuring out which antidepressant to put you on. (laughs) Even though none of them are actually going to help you because your brain needs to teach itself to get out of that tangle if you numb it a little bit even for six months or 60 years it's like you know in a room if there's um if you've just cooked like a fish dinner and you want to get rid of the smell so you burn a candle or you spray the whole room and kill everything with like a chemical that's what an antidepressant is it's just coating everything in like a a fake fabricated film so the symptoms go away so you can't smell it anymore so you can't be in that environment anymore whereas I think a candle is kind of like you're getting to kind of like it's a slow burner and it's not um yeah it's a source yeah I don't know I have mixed feelings because they can really really help you yeah I think I'm I'm more with you on that my dad's a holistic doctor and he hasn't prescribed a drug for however many years now yeah um and is all kind of about different ways of therapy. Um, and I very nearly actually last year, I've kind of figured out now on hindsight that the contraceptive pill that I was taking just fucked me Which up. Which one was it? It was the mini pill, so yeah, was it. Yeah. And I mean, I'd been taking it for years previously, but last year before mom died, I was, it was a bad year anyway. It was such a bad year. Um, and I only realised coming off it in March how my moods just completely transformed. It's like a release, isn't it? And I was like, oh my God, has this tiny little pill just been ruining my life? But <laughs> I was so close in that year to going on antidepressants because it was that hard to cope with. Yeah. And I'm glad that I didn't because I, I wanted to try other means of therapy and actually go to counselling and start exercising or whatever. Works much you know. better. Um, but now I'm like, oh my God, that bloody little tiny pill. And that, that, again, that's like another thing that you're putting in your body. You don't really know how that's going to affect you. And it's another thing that society says you absolutely need. Like, why did the women always have to be the one? I don't it? know. But I remember going on the first contraceptive, maybe age 14, 15, but it was for my skin and my hormones because everything was all over the place. And what it actually did was just make it so much worse. So much worse. That's so but you feel obliged. Up, yeah. You feel like if you're not on something be it anything, yeah. even a vitamin, then something's going to go wrong. Like you're unsafe. Yeah. It's just... It blows my mind. It's mad. And I hate when I feel worse than myself, my brain instantly goes, I should probably book another appointment then and see what they can give me. Rather than I need to work on getting those endorphin back so I can help myself. Yeah. Or just like my favorite thing, which is why I love these kind of conversations and asking these kind of questions is always just going back and back and back and be like, okay, I feel scared about this. Okay, what's scaring you? Um, I'm scared that people are going to think this. Okay, Mm -hmm. why are you scared? And just keep kind of going back to try and figure out what is the source? What is the main thing here that you're scared about? And then work on that bit because all the other stuff is just coating what's actually yeah it's a spiral you know we I was talking about this with my mum because I've because we're doing loads of shows up north so I've been able to stay at home which is amazing so much better than the van yeah um and we were both having quite a small day my base is kitty she calls it when you're feeling little 
when you're kind of there is no cause there is no effect there's you're just feeling a bit the clouds just there yeah we're both having a bit of that and she was saying you know I think it's a hereditary thing that um you can either be a, a contented person throughout your whole life and you find another person and you you are content together and you know you go to your job and you love it but it's a drag and on weekends you go out and that's that there's no there's no other layer or you can be like us which is there's always something not right there's always something that you have to change there's something that is gonna go badly you're foreshadowing something negative Mm -hmm. so we always have episodes of right we need to sell the house we need to go away I need to become a gardener I'm you know all of these manic things but we both think it's well we say it's this big umbrella when actually the problem is the car broke down but now our whole life is ruined yeah but it's just not the case yeah and I don't know why your brain does that but it's it's as if one problem isn't enough it switches into this mode of and this and this and this yeah like a shopping list of things that aren't right yeah it's almost like it's like the brain and all these kind of coping mechanisms would were at some point there to protect you from something some emotion Mm. whatever but they're just not necessary now and our brains I think it's are we like hardwired to kind of go to the negative stuff so that we can always prepare for something going wrong like back in the day being chased by lions or whatever you always had to be one step ahead to prepare for this stuff but now we're never ever being chased by lions but we still have these things that just run ahead with these negative outcomes that never happen i did get chased by a bull the other day did you actually (laughs) what the hell how does one just get chased by? i went for a walk and um i was walking with my headphones on and i was wearing red leggings as well schoolboy era horrendous and i just see this thing in my peripheral like this black i shit myself object and two bulls two stood up from lying down because it was in i was in really long grass they could only kind of see half my body so obviously this thing is just moving around like a little mouse and then literally you can see like the nostrils flaring and the big ring under the thing. And me and the bull were separated by maybe like a two-foot little string. Oh, my fucking God. But you're not allowed to run. What did you do? I took my headphones out because I thought, if this bull starts running, I'm going to want to hear it. Um, and then I just, walk, I just walked really calmly away. Were you actually calm or were you like, I didn't oh look it God. in the eye. There's a Roald Dahl story about I don't know if he... Did you ever read Cautionary Tales? I don't think so. And even if I did, I wouldn't be able to remember it. In fact, I don't think it was Roald Dahl. The illustrator was Quentin Blake, so I think it's okay, Roald Dahl, but it, right. I don't think it was. They're collections of, like, childhood tales about... Basically, the boy that cried wolf in a hundred different forms. Yeah. And there was one about a girl and a bull, and she jumped over the... I think she was blind or something like that. <laughs> she was, like, a young a young blind girl that jumped over the wall and didn't read the sign because she was a bit of a rebel and then right. and then the bull ate her okay, so not how that I was going through my head <laughs> you're like i'm gonna just be eaten no all those stories are really bleak quentin there was one bleak. quentin bleak <laughs> there was one called tom and his and his pony Henry or Henry and his pony Tom or something like that. Did he like get that. eaten too? And one of them fed, Tom fed his pony 
polos and chocolates and things that horses aren't supposed to have so his belly swelled up uh, this is not the poetry that's in the book and then the other one rode the horse so fast all the time that got too skinny and died he's but, a really, I know really sad yeah I love them though I I think if I saw a bull and I realized I was wearing red something in me would think just get topless right now what just take <laughs> Get rid of all the red. Throw it over there. Yeah, and slowly walk away. And no, then just... I kind of thought, I sort of accepted the fate. I was kind of like, this is the way I'm going to go. It Jesus. has to be. Well, it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? Fun? Being chased by a bull? Yeah. It happened when I was um, recording the album as well. It wasn't a bull, but <laughs> it, was, it was a herd of cows. Oh my God, that again. That, with like... their babies. I need to stop walking through... Yeah, you field. like a daisy field, don't you? Yeah, I've just yeah. seen so many photos of you online just surrounded by a field. Yeah, I'm trying not to do that anymore. <laughs> that's the thing. They they pick a a singer-songwriter that's Classic. from the Dales and they put her in the rain in a big field. <laughs> but it is a natural habitat, just not with a photographer there. No. Or mm. bulls chasing you. No, thank you. Okay, let's move on to another number. Sure. Sixty-two. Have we? No, had wait, 62? wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, oh. wait, wait. Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Yeah. Interesting. What made you backtrack? My dad was born in nineteen fifty-eight. Right. And my grandparents have just had their fifty-eighth wedding anniversary. Oh, look at you picking yesterday numbers. Like well, they that. came to a gig, and it's the first time they've seen me since I was twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Bloody hell, that's a long time. I know. Um. The some you know if these questions are just too much, you can just be like next, okay. just as an FYI. Um, what are your unhappiest memories of your parents? Oh, that's interesting. I mentioned them before. Mm, yeah, that's the question. Unhappiest memories. Are you close to your family, parents? Massively. Yeah. I'm trying actively not to mention them in interviews now because I think it's becoming quite a theme. <laughs> but it is because they were so intrinsic to music there was yeah. nothing else that got me into music it was just them so there's not much else you can and the classic question is how did you start music and why are you a musician and when did you write and it's all because of them so there's not much else I can do but um we've always been a really close unit yeah and I've seen them go through probably a lot of unhappiness in the last 10 years I think first half of childhood was was idyllic and everyone was happy and no one was ill and people had money and there was no recession and things like that and then I guess I don't know life happens you move somewhere else you get new jobs I mean I honestly don't have I don't want to be that that boasting person but I don't have unhappy memories that's amazing Nothing went wrong, I don't think. Okay, let's go happiest memories of your parents. Okay. Um, probably in the bath. I, I love the bath and I used to spend maybe two hours in there and then dad would come and sing to me and we'd sing together. <laughs> that is the cutest thing I've ever heard. He'd bring heard. the guitar in, it'd be amazing. 
No wonder you are who you are. My grandfather's clock was too large for the shelf. Do you know that one? <laughs> so I wasted 20 years on the floor. Bum, bum, bum. I used to do that. <laughs> I used to do that. <laughs> ah, two hours though, isn't the bath water like freezing? I was a wrinkled prune. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm, that was nice. Um, we took a lot of trips to Cornwall. That was yeah. very good. 10 hours of the beach boys and the streets. Nice. The street. The soundtrack. Curveball. Um, I don't know. We've done a lot. We've done a lot. We've moved a lot. Have you? We've had a lot of houses. And I was born in a house. I was born in a village called Rispliff. And at the time, um, mum was actually playing Scrabble when I decided to arrive. <laughs> so I love Scrabble. Yeah, like I it's do It's my favourite, favourite thing. Um, Have you got words of friends? You see, I'm not a big fan of that. No? I don't like screen stuff. You'd rather keep it the old school way, yeah. the Billy way. All members of the family have their own bored really <laughs> i love this i'm getting a such a like vivid thing. picture of Good. you and your family and your style yeah we like words and we like music and mum's always written poetry um and she plays classical piano but she can read music and i can't do that so there was like a like a mystery there and i used to watch her and couldn't really understand what she was doing um and dad started me off on guitar and we did loads of, um, like Loud and Wainwright was a big one for me. Um, Chris Wood, who's kind of like this very traditional folk singer, but he was my first gig when I was nine. So I remember coming home and instantly writing a song and, and it was like the, it was the best thing. Wow. It sounds like your life is a film. <laughs> It actually sounds like it's a film. Like, no wonder you are so musically talented with that kind of background. But wouldn't it be really fucking painfully awkward if you just couldn't sing? Like, you you could write music and yeah. you loved it, but yeah. you just had a shit voice. Like, thank like God you're great. Elton's Bernie. Who? So his his writer. Really? Elton John's... Have you not seen the film? No. I don't, made I don't me care for Elton, honestly. No, I don't either. But I had to see that film. Okay, I'll watch it. I would watch it being a musician. Okay. Definitely. Even though, like, our worlds are very far removed from his. But there's so there's so many kind of, like... Crossovers. Yes. Yeah, massively. But, yeah, he, he started music at 20 and couldn't write a single lyric. Um, met this guy, Bernie, who would send him words in the post and he'd just turn them into songs ah, the they, still, they still do that now wow that's quite cool isn't it yeah yeah i don't know but it's all a fluke i don't um it's all an accident your parents and your brother must be so proud of you though right <laughs> well, i'm proud of them too yeah we're just proud of each other like my mum's just finished a degree look at her go she's 55 she's graduating in summer she gets to wear the whole tabard thing. Max is getting married on Saturday. Oh my god, congratulations, Max. I know. So much to look forward to. Yeah. We're on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> what a lovely 2019 you seem to be having. Just snow patrol, it weddings. Feels like really good. Life's pretty good for Billy right now. Yes, it is. It's too happy. We need to get started. I'm joking. Sorry. Let's go for another number. Right. 
Two. Two. We've definitely had a two before. Hmm. What do you take for granted? Um, probably all of that. Probably having a really safe, happy, middle-class white childhood. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I just wrote a song actually about that. And then also moving to London and seeing so much more than you've seen in your life. Going to places like San Francisco, Crack Alley. Just ridiculous. Yeah. I lived such a sheltered village, you know, small town life. And there's a lot of problems that you don't have and you never will because you were born into something that unfortunately had more weight in society than other than yeah. other people. Does it take kind of talking about it for you to be like, oh, wow, yeah, maybe maybe it is kind of great? Because, I mean, you say you take it for granted, but you're clearly very self-aware enough to know. I appreciate like, it yeah. massively, but sometimes I feel a bit embarrassed thinking about problems that I have or talking about problems, something that I'm really ruminating on when I haven't experienced so much. But you can't compare yourself either because you live totally different lives to other people. But also there's this trend of musicians coming from a really dark background and sort of getting themselves up out of the cave or whatever to get to where they are today to making music and selling albums for some reason that I don't it does make you the artist may seem better because they've come from such a hard place yeah doesn't really matter what the music is like but their struggle is has been defeated so yeah. they're stronger than a normal human being i don't know there's a bit of that yeah so have you like what's kind of been the catalyst for your music like because your music is folky it's beautiful it's chilled but it's melancholy at times mm. do you have have you had kind of traumatic things that go into the music happen to you uh, I don't sit down and write a song when I'm happy. I think that's the issue. Right. There are other things I want to do when I feel like that. And like go out in the sun. Yeah, and writing songs isn't one of them. Um, and unfortunately, that's the only bit that gets recorded in life, isn't it? Whatever music you make. I mean, sometimes I find it hard to do gigs because I don't feel like that anymore. And when I first started writing songs, I was very confused. I'm really kind of um, always trying to dig to the bottom and understand what was going on in my brain and I never could. So it's like this constant narrative that was most of the first album and quite a bit of the second, really. Right. Even though I would talk about other people or other situations, but in reality it would still be about me. Um, I think that's just an ongoing thing Yeah. for any musician. You're just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. <laughs> In any but you have to do it in a really nice way yeah have <laughs> um, you ever been through heartbreak no 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 is that something that you think about well this is something I kind of write about a little bit more I think um I don't understand how you can get your heart broken interesting and I don't I mean, I haven't been in love, so I can't... I don't know what that feels like. Yeah. What do you mean when you say you don't understand how you could get your heart broken? 
I don't know, part of this, this might sound a bit autistic maybe, but to put so much into another human and for them to not give it back, I just don't know how people get themselves into that. Surely you'd know at the start of the relationship. I don't know. Yeah, I'm It's with hard you. to explain. I'm, I'm with you in that it's so hard to understand how it can go from something to something else when they're just the same humans yeah and there's different types of heartbreak Mm. for sure it's not just um romantic it's um your heart can be broken all the time and you might never know why yeah but it's kind of this deep feeling have you experienced loss like any grief or i've been really really lucky i have in our family we're we're troopers yeah, it sounds like it. I don't really know why, because we're not really the healthiest. Like, <laughs> at all. We're kind of like family of Keith Richards, just English. <laughs> and... I don't know. Yeah, we've been kind of lucky. Yeah. Loss, um... I'm scared of. Obviously, you don't want it to happen, but it's inevitable. Lots of people are afraid of dying, but I don't have that. I don't have that. I actually quite look forward to it. A little bit, so do I. Yeah. Not in a horrible way. That is where I'm going to end it today, team. I know, I know, it's a very, very strange place to end the podcast. Us both just saying that we will be happy when death eventually comes. But I'd actually love to know your thoughts on death because I've had conversations with many people on this topic. Some people don't mind the thought of dying... Um, And some people are absolutely terrified at the thought of not being alive. And I'd love to know your opinions on it, because naturally, I think we're all scared about how we're going to die. But I, I don't mind the thought of just not being here at all, whereas some people really hate that. So I'd love to know your thoughts. Please get in touch on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget you can get the last 15 minutes of this episode with Billy on my Patreon now, patreon.com forward slash Kate McGill. You will get all the episodes a week earlier in full. So I hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Billy. You can go and listen to her brand new album, Feeding Seahorses by Hand, on Spotify and everywhere else now. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. So go forth, have a wonderful couple of weeks, and I'm going to leave you on one of my favourite quotes from The Untethered Soul, which is just my favourite book right now. I will leave a link in the description. There is nothing more important to true growth than realising that you are not the voice of the mind, you are the one who hears it. Have a lovely couple of weeks, guys, and I'll see you back here for episode three.